Hello, welcome to the CamerScore podcast. I'm Scott Lepisto. In this series of podcasts, we'll be making public the archive of the CamerScore interviews. CamerScore was the brainchild of CamerScore Secretary-Treasurer Tom Sienkiewicz, who modeled the oral history project after National Public Radio's StoryCorps. Each year since 2012, graduate students have interviewed senior faculty about their participation in CamWest. These interviews are conducted to elicit the members' recollections of their experiences with CamWest, of their life and career, and of the changes, trends, and constants that they have observed over the years in CamWest and in the profession as a whole. In the future, we'll be releasing a handful of CamWest Core podcasts each year to celebrate the annual meeting. In this inaugural episode, I'm happy to present to you Krishni Burns' interview with the late James Rubel, conducted on April 18, 2013, in Iowa City. James Rubel was the president of CAMWIS from 2001 to 2002. You'll hear in this interview his reflections on CAMWIS and the many and varied roles he played within the organization, as well as the winding road of his career. James sadly passed away suddenly in 2016. This episode is dedicated to his memory. Without further ado, here is Krishni Burns and the late James Rubel. My name is Krishni Burns. I am 29 years old. The date is April 18th, 2013, and I'm here with Dr. James Rubel of Ball State University. We're in Iowa City at the Conference Hotel of Camwis, the Classical Association of the Midwest and South. And would you tell me a little bit about your academic history? Yeah, sure. Well, um, I, was, I graduated from the University of Cincinnati with a Ph.D. in 1972 and went from there on five consecutive one-year contracts to the University of Minnesota, um, which was a splendid experience and uh, moved from there to get a tenure stream position at Iowa State University in 1978 and thought we were pretty much passing through at the time and we were there 22 years <laughs> uh, and had no plans to leave eventually. Um, but in 2000, I was offered the position as Dean of the Honors College at Ball State and professor of classical studies, and so here I am at Ball State, and I've been there now 13 years. So that's the short version. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what brought you to Camus? Camus. My first Camus was in 1984 in Williamsburg, so this is my 30th Camus. It's the year I was born. <laughs> the year you were born. <laughs> and um, I'm not sure what got me to go. Um, at the time, I was actually going in the first week of May every year to a small conference called the Association of Ancient Historians. And I had been, as a graduate student, I had gone to the first of those meetings, uh, which were at Buffalo, and Ernst Badian put this all together. And um, a couple of years later, I went to one of those in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and it was quite a lovely meeting, and uh, I just went to that every year. And for some reason, in 1984, I decided to go to Camus, and I doubt that I, maybe the ancient historians was in some place I couldn't reach easily. I'm not sure. Um, in any case, I went to Camus, um, and uh, you know, 
here I am. Uh, for a while, I, I for like two or three years, I tried to go to those, but I'd realized I couldn't go to both. And so Cam was one out. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, since I've come to Ball State, I this is the only classical connection that I actually maintain, so this is very good. So what made you choose Camlis? They were similar conferences, but I thought Camlis was broader. The ancient historians is exactly what it sounds like. They're talking about ancient history, which I love dearly. Um, And the great advantage to that particular conference is that they don't have lots of sessions. They have, well, they basically have plenary sessions all day. So on one day, they'll have three papers, and they last an hour, and... There's a lot of argument, uh, or as you might want to say, discussion, uh, and um, and that's really um, actually very exciting. Um, but um, Camlis was more like I don't know my kind of people. I've never been comfortable being pegged in a box like historian, classicist, philologist, whatever box you might want to pick and class uh, cam was simply had it all so um, that was I guess that was the reason in any case I kept coming so so you like the wide variety of topics we mm-hmm, talk about I do I like the wide variety of topics I like presentation of pedagogical panels and that's pretty unusual for other companies. there's nothing like that in ancient history of course and there's I haven't been to the APA now in about 20 years but when I was going, it was not common to have pedagogical panels. Mm-hmm. And it is not now, still. Mm-hmm. So what is your favorite memory from Camelot? <laughs> well, that's going to be hard. <laughs> <laughs> you want to tell me about a couple? Sure. Don't have to pick? Um, <clears throat> well, I can tell you some of the more interesting things that you don't see elsewhere. The first pet Camelot I went to again, not knowing anybody or anything about the conference, was remarkable. I remember listening to Arthur Stalker give the Ovatio. All of those, of course, are printed in Classical Journal, and I had read those for some years, this glorious Ciceronian prose. (laughs) And I thought, oh, great, I'll get to hear Arthur Stalker. So that was interesting. Um, And... um, um, I think it was Sheila Dickinson gave the presidential address, and um, and I just liked the tenor of it. It was more about why we're doing what we do and why it matters than here's something fascinating I discovered about meter or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> um, <clears throat> um, so that was interesting. I, the the it was a small conference in those times. I don't know how many officially. Uh, but I would be surprised if it were more than 200. Um, and so we all kind of trooped around together and uh, got to know each other pretty well. There are people I wouldn't know today if I didn't, if I hadn't met them at Campbell's, uh, with whom I've stayed in close contact. Um, I remember the, f- uh, I say the first, I remember the first one that I saw by John Solomon, which incorporated film and music into a formal presentation at a professional conference. And uh, that was, on the one hand, phenomenally entertaining and really extraordinarily interesting. Um, And then, of course, Martin Winkler and Monica Serino have all gotten into the act, and it's 
become a, a real thing. Um, uh, that John was out there by, on, by himself there for a while, or largely by himself. So that was that's memorable. Um, and that sort of typifies what happens at Camus, or happened at Camus. So, uh, I think it's um, a place where not fully formed ideas can be presented to colleagues for review and discussion and thought. In some sense, the stuff that's fully formed is going to either come out in a journal or not. And so um, if you hear them present it, that's lovely. But I really like the, you know, here's an idea. See how, see if it's got legs and where we can go with it. Um, and that, that has, uh, that was characterized a uh, canvas for quite some time, I think. Uh, unusual stuff, or what at that time was unusual stuff. Uh, stuff in the classical tradition at the conference was unusual stuff. Um, and by that I mean, you know, uh, talking about some modern author and uh, connecting it to the reception of classics, not so much the classics with muscles, classical tradition, but you know, the here's where we are now, and well, who'd have thunk it? Kind of. So, what do you say that uh, Camus is particularly welcoming then to new ideas? It has been, yes, um, and in fact, it's been welcoming as a conference. It's an extraordinarily friendly conference. Mm -hmm. um, there is no formal placement service. Nobody's here freaking out because they're not sure if they're going to get interviewed. Uh, no interviewing takes place, but it's, it's not why you're here. Mm -hmm. So there's a good bit of relaxation about that issue. And it just, it's, a, you know, it's just a very friendly place. Um, and as I said, it was small for quite some time. Everybody really more or less knew everybody else. And it's gotten bigger, but organically. It didn't just go boom one day. So do you think that's a good thing, that it's gotten so much bigger? It's getting to the point where it's at critical mass, I think. Uh, it'd be interesting to see how that goes. Um, when you get, when we're in the range of 500 in a conference, when you get much beyond that, you're uh, in the big conference. You change what kind of hotels you can go to, what kinds of cities you can go to, whether or not you're at a hub or not. Um, all those things change. I, you know, I'm not on the program committee, but I'm sure that changes the way the program committee looks at uh, proposals. Um, I think Camus was way ahead of APA on graduate, uh, on graduate student papers, and it's kind of shifted now. Uh, there are fewer here and more there. There have been undergraduate papers presented here, mm -hmm. extraordinarily good ones. Uh, probably not so much lately, but again, when you get large, <clears throat> when you accept one, you exclude something else. And, or you have Thursday night meetings, and those are not popular. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, um, it, it's interesting. Um, I'm not in charge, so <laughs> it will be interesting to follow the, the development of that. So, what has been your favorite city? Oh, favorite Camus city. At? Wow, that's a good question. Well, we went to Minneapolis <clears throat> one year, of course, and I had been there five years. And I really liked Minneapolis. So, that was good. I think Iowa City is a good place. Um, St. Louis, I enjoy. Um, I pretty much liked all of them, uh, <laughs> I guess. 
Do you find that the different locations sort of add a different tenor to the tone of the conference? Mm, they definitely do. It's going to be a very different conference in Waco than it is here in Iowa City. Um, and was different in Austin and was different in St. Louis and in Williamsburg. I think that's absolutely true. You always get a lot of local people who can't come routinely who show up when it's close. Mm-hmm. And that also changes the dynamic in ways that are good. We get more high school teachers from around Iowa City, I would guess, and um, not so many from Florida. But if we're in Tampa, that encourages the Florida people to, to come. So how do you feel about kind of the combination of the secondary school teachers and the grad students and the uh, full well, I think it's professors. great. I think it's, I think it's just terrific. I think it's a great mix. I think it's a great uh, development um, opportunity for the graduate students who are presumably going on to become professionals. It's a fine place for secondary school teachers to get engaged above the you know first year level. Uh, they spend a considerable amount of their lives dealing with material that in college you cover in about two semesters. And that can be deadening without some kind of external stimulus. Of course they can do AP and all that stuff, but really it's it's not the same as hearing somebody really get engaged with something that you love. That's why you do it. And then you find out, oh yeah, that's that's why I love it. (laughs) Now I know. I remember that. That was exciting. And you can always bring stuff back to your class. Uh, both at any level, I think. So you are presiding this conference? I am presiding over a, a panel, mm-hmm. yes. Do you often preside? Um, what I usually do is tell the um, president to just put me down wherever they think they need somebody, um, and they do. Mm-hmm. So most years, if I'm not presenting, I usually, and, and by the way, I've I have not been printing regularly in the last 13 years, but I have done some. Um, if I'm not presenting, then I'm probably presiding. And I've been on some committees and this, this and that. Is it ever too far for you to go? It hasn't been. Mm-hmm. I guess, I don't know. If they had it in Tokyo, I'd have to think <laughs> about it. <laughs> but I've been to, I haven't missed one since 1984. And I'm a piker, and I mean, people like John Miller have been here practically since they opened the first file cabinet. So you talked about really enjoying uh, sort of new multimedia presentations at Camus. Yeah, well, multimedia, but also just um, multi-what? Multi Across time, across genre, across medium, uh, different ways to look at the same material that have... Um, that either have at the beginning or develop as they continue to work on it, real scholarly rigor. And so it isn't just a matter of John Solomon saying, hey, here's an interesting piece of music. He tied the music in the film to the theme of the film, to the events that the film was portraying. It was just quite quite remarkable, and still is. Mm-hmm. And then we, you know, we do things like Spartacus and <laughs> other... Um, Fine contributions to, this, <laughs> to the history of the profession. Ah, yeah. but pop culture is an excellent way of studying how the everyman lives. Yeah, it's true. It's true. My students once asked me how I felt about the Hercules TV series. 
<laughs> expecting that I would say, you know, it really was awful. And in some ways it was really awful. But I said, you know, the Hercules legend in antiquity was completely open-ended. It just seemed to make up stories about him, about, you know, every time you pick up a text, it's got a new legend of Hercules. Well, and just because it was in an ancient book doesn't mean it's any more, I don't know, some sense valid than somebody creating it on TV. So I, th I thought it was in some ways very appropriate. What would you say was the most amusing thing you recall happening at a Camelus? Most amusing thing. The, the continuing thing is Jim May's Ovationes, where he almost, in, well, I say almost, I think invariably sings in Latin some locally important song, like the fight song or something translated really? into Latin. Yeah, so he sang Old Man River, and he sang Go with, On Wisconsin, and, um, and those are really quite hilarious, um, <laughs> as are, indeed, his entire presentations. Her binario was also funny, but more in a sophisticated way, you know, where you understand and, and we all chuckle. But with uh, Jim May, you're going you're gonna to laugh. You do, indeed, laugh out loud. <laughs> I have never heard him. Well, you're in for a treat. <laughs> Coming to the banquet Friday? I am. Well, then you will, you'll hear something. I'm not sure what it'll be. It might be the Iowa Fight song or some other thing, but it'll be characteristically Jim May. Is there anything else that you know a new Camus goer should be sure not to miss? Um, well, for this conference, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I'm not sure. I haven't been through the program in great detail, but uh, it looks like a great program. I'm looking forward to next year. Uh, Stephen Saylor is going to be a plenary speaker, mm -hmm. uh, and I know him a little, and that will be that will be fun. Um, how about your most memorable Camelus meeting? Ah, again, there are categories of memorable. In 2002, I was the president, and so I was putting the program together, so back up to 2001 when we had submissions deadlines. And the submission deadline was something like first week or two of October. Well, you may recall that in September 11th of 2001, something very unpleasant happened. No one was thinking about Camus for that next Month. So we had, I believe, at the deadline, roughly four, present, four proposals. And, wow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we expected Austin, that was in Austin, the April meeting, to be, uh, if not the largest, then very close to the largest. And Greg Doherty was secretary-treasurer, and we said, well, okay, let's extend the deadline. <laughs> so we sent out a reminder, and uh, that deadline has been extended, and we did get a significant number of proposals, but everything was about a month late, and so um, in those days, printing the program was a matter of Secretary Treasurer typing it into his computer on WordPerfect and then sending it off to a printer, and there was a print deadline. The print deadline was in the first week of January. So as we received papers and pr proposals, we had to I had to, with the committee, had to sort them out, decide which ones we're going to accept, uh, notify all these people, and then put together a program. And this, we are now in December. And so on New Year's Eve, Greg Doherty and I were on the phone, and he was typing the program uh, into his computer as I was going through the literal 
papers. It was, was you know, nothing like electronic stuff. Um, and um, because the print deadline was that next week. So that's how I spent New Year's Eve 2011. And then the, can the conference actually went, went quite well. But I have to say, that makes it pretty memorable. <laughs> <laughs> Not my preferred mode for planning and arranging the conference. But I thought the Centennial Conference in St. Louis was really quite memorable. Uh, 2004, I think. Um, a lot of um, Ken Kitchell and his group had all had done a tremendous amount of planning and preparation, special presentations, special events, uh, things like this, interviewing people and filming uh, some people. Uh, really, it was very, it was memorable in that respect. Mm -hmm. Much more positive form of memorable <laughs> than, than the one I I had to deal with. Was that your only time as president? Yes. I don't know if we've had return presidents. It's like being consul twice, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Can't be done. Yeah. It's a particularly difficult time to, uh, to have to organize a conference. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, ha it all went well. And we did have a very large group. We didn't have a record. Um, but we did have a pretty large group. Mm -hmm. And I thought the conference went well. Have you served on any committees? Oh, so, yeah. I've heard, oh, you name the committee. I've probably been on <laughs> it. I, I started out on the Merit, no, on the Manson Stewart Awards Committee. Uh, jo John Hall was secretary treasurer at the time. Um, we would all invariably come out with more people that we wanted to fund. We'd call John. John, <laughs> can we have another $500? You know? <laughs> and... And we had to, you know, and I had to give the report on that. So I, that's where I started out. Then I was uh, regional vice president for a while, and I just went on and on on various various committees. I just start checking off the list. I've been on pretty much all. In fact, there was a time when I think I was on practically all of them at the same time. It was kind of getting kind of thick. Yeah. Which one was your favorite to serve on? Oh, well, um, I really liked the one... That one, the um, because I thought it was real important to get people to start coming to Camus and to um, to um, encourage our secondary school people to apply and to come. So that was a kind of missionary committee that I was happy to be on. Um, the executive committee, I, I was on that on two consecutive, two uh, successive, two different times. Once while I was being president-elect and president and past president, and then once before that when I had been elected to the executive committee. And that's pretty rewarding. Is it stressful? You know, trying can to be. Keep the conference organized. Yeah, well, you, you also you have some personalities that you get to, <laughs> get to deal with. and So it can be stressful. So I suspect that most of, kind of your involvement has been with people all over the Midwest and South. Yeah. Uh, did that make it a lot more difficult to get things organized? No. No, I don't think so. I think it's been, and I don't take credit for that, I think it's been a well-organized, well-run organization and conference since the time I first showed up. I'm sure there were all kinds of behind-the-scenes disasters, but they didn't actually manifest themselves at the, at the delivery lab and at the conference. I don't think that I should ask you about the APA. I could talk about the APA. <laughs> um, I went to the APA um, 
as a graduate student and as an immediate postgraduate student, I can't remember what year the APA was in Cincinnati, but I was in a PhD program there. That was my first APA. And I went regularly for, um, maybe not every year, but pretty regularly for 20-something years. Enjoyed it for different reasons. Most importantly, the APA is who we are. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So um, I think it's really important to support the national organization. Um, Regional organization has a different mission, but the APA is classic set on the national and somewhat international level. So yeah, I've been to, I w- went to the APA quite often um, and enjoyed that. Um, I got to where I couldn't do it. I couldn't do both, and I couldn't do it when it was routinely um, scheduled. And so I just gradually moved more toward CAMWAS. And once I moved to honors, I had yet another conference to go to, Um, and so that pretty much took one of them out, and uh, I just decided to be self-gratifying as opposed to professionally responsible, so I come here. (laughs) Do you encourage your students to come? Uh Uh-huh. One of my undergraduate advisees at Iowa State gave a paper at CAMLAS, and I don't know if I can give you the year on that one, Chris Johansson. Um, who is currently the director of digital humanities at UCLA. But at the time, he was a lowly graduate student, and he gave a paper on um, reconstruction of the Roman Forum, a specific building in the Roman Forum about which there's been controversy as to its precise location. And what he did was to render it, computerized, rendered model uh, of the various theories. So he had three or four people who had vigorously asserted the correctness of their theory. So he simply modeled it, and it turns out that three of them didn't fit at all into the space. And one of them meant something else had to be moved. So, (laughs) Um, did he solve that problem? So, and he suggested then a... You know, if you have this space, we know it was there, Mm -hmm. then it could only be this big, not that big, and so on. And that was, as far as I know, the first time that the computer in Camus was part of the argument and not just, here's something cool I can do on my computer. Mm -hmm. So without the renderings, it wouldn't have been a paper. So you've mentioned a lot of kind of progressive things that people can do at Camlas, you know, computer modeling and incorporation of various different types of media mm-hmm. and a lot of reception. Uh, would you say that Camlas is kind of more progressive than other conferences because of that? Or is it just that it's so open to I new I think ideas? it's just that it's open. In 1984, I doubt that this was a an intentional, you know, okay, if... Let's bring in new media. Or I, I think it was, it's just that it became a, a venue where such things could be presented uh, to people who knew stuff. Um, and they may not know particularly about computerized rendering, but they know what a model of a forum looks like. <laughs> um, and they're very familiar with the literature and the, and the evidence for that this person was discussing. Um, and 
also in Grand Rapids, my the student was able to meet somebody who was working on something precisely the kind of thing she was interested in, mm -hmm. and had a phenomenal conversation and you know, exchanging emails and stuff like that. Um, so I don't know that it was a you know it's not like it's a mission statement, but I think it's organically necessary result of the kind of openness that you have or have had at Campbell's. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My school, Buffalo, is not really part of the Midwest or the South. Yeah. But. <laughs> are you honorary members? <laughs> we are. Well, we are all members. I don't know if our school is. Okay. But I've met people from all over the country who have come to Camlis. I've met people from Canada who have come to Camlis. Uh -huh. And we like especially at Buffalo, but I think many other places, to tell other graduate students that this is a great first conference. I think that's true. Because you don't feel lost. Uh, and you can actually meet other graduate students and hang out and have a good time and not feel like you're under pressure all the time. I think that's absolutely right. I've also thought that Camlis is extremely welcoming to mm -hmm. sort of people I'm who glad are... glad to hear that. Yeah. It's people who are interested in a lot of different topics and uh, people who sometimes don't feel like they can really be part of the discipline mm -hmm. you know, because their ideas are unusual or because they're only secondary school teachers. Yeah, or so on. only secondary. Only secondary school yeah. teachers. Only crucial for the future of our <laughs> profession, but that's all. Yeah. Do you think that the fact that it started out as such, you know, a regional conference where everyone knew each other that sort of developed into a welcoming atmosphere for, you know, younger members. I think that's possible. I also think the leadership of the organization just had that personality as a group, mm -hmm. um, at least as far as, um, you know, your interaction with the conference. If you... <coughs> Um, had to write an, uh, an email to John Hall or Greg Doherty or Tom Sankowitz, you get a really open, warm response. I'm not saying those are all open, warm people. <laughs> but in terms of the interaction with the, with the rest of the world, I think that's the tenor that the conference projected. Um, you know, it, it, it's interesting that I hadn't thought about Buffalo not being in Camus officially, but Camus gets a lot of people at the conference who aren't officially in the Camus region. The Camus region is very large, but you know, we get people from California who will come and present at Camus, and people from New York and other places where I mean, there is a, a, an organization for the Near Eastern yeah, Near Eastern, <laughs> Northeastern states. Yeah, um, and there's CAS. And there's CAS, and there are various other regional classical conferences, and I don't know anything. I mean, I've never been to one. Um, maybe I've been to one. But um, this is the one that really attracts a lot of traffic. Um, and there was a lot of discussion about that a long time ago, you know, what about all these outsiders coming in and giving papers? You know, we think that's a good thing. Yeah, we do. So, okay. <laughs> uh, we're almost as big as the APA now, aren't we? You know what? I, I don't know that answer um, because I was surprised to hear 
how relatively small the APA actually is compared to the AIA, which is apparently much larger. I had no idea. I just heard that yesterday. I didn't know that. So, yeah. So, I've said this earlier, but I think you shouldn't just be a member of CAMLAS. You should also be a member of the APA. Mm-hmm. You really have to buy into your or your uh, profession's identity, and that's my opinion. I certainly agree. I have not missed uh, an APA or a CAMLAS since I started going, okay. which is not so long ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> But I have noticed a distinct kind of difference in the tone of the conferences. You yeah. Know, the most obvious is how many different sort of, I guess, types of people you get at CAMWAS. You know, it's still an international conference. It still draws from all over the country, but you know, it draws, as we've been saying, lots of grad students and lots yeah. of secondary school teachers and independent scholars. And the organization has reacted to that. So we now have panels for graduate students on preparing for interviews and preparing resumes and things of that nature. Um, that wasn't always a part of the program. But that um, that was very intentional. Maybe we should have... The first time it was a round table. It was with a, a room and people sitting in a circle uh, talking about things that would be important to graduate students. Yep. Well, as a member of the Graduate Student Issues Committee, yes, thank you. <laughs> the so far, uh, while I've been on the committee, those panels have been just incredibly well attended. Mm-hmm. And but when I stand up and look around the room, it's not, you know, all graduate students by any means. It's a very large number of senior scholars, full professors. Um, and it sometimes surprises me how interested everyone at CAMLAS is in you know, graduate students and in kind of the profession and professional issues in general. You, know, you would think that some people don't have to worry about such things anymore. Well, I don't know if that ever happens, but <laughs> I think it is true that a very large number of senior, so-called senior faculty in the profession really care about the junior faculty in the profession and the future junior faculty in the profession. Um, I don't think it's only that um, there is some sense of being under siege. I think it's always been like that. Uh, at least at this organization. It's always been a, a nurturing environment for developing scholars. Not Another reason to like the conference, <laughs> but it's, it's absolutely true, in my opinion. I would agree. You're coming at it from the other end. Well, good. <laughs> <laughs> it's always good to hear <laughs> the other end talk and say, yeah, that's in fact true, yeah. as opposed to that's what you think. <laughs> no, it's, just, it's a great first conference. You know, this is where you will meet a lot of people. Uh, all of whom are very interested in your work and excited to discuss your ideas. Mm-hmm. And the, the newer people are having weirder and weirder ideas, which are, <laughs> all, I mean, I think it's really exciting. Um, you know, it's like, I never thought of it that way because I've been doing it this way my whole life. And here's somebody else saying, look at it from over here. Wow. 
That's really cool. Yep. <laughs> and there's still a little pushback. You know, you would think we're such a professor, we're such a traditional field. We've been doing this for a while. We have been doing this for a while, but uh, in some sense, we've never been a, a traditional field in the sense that you mean. I mean, it's always been multidisciplinary. Before multidisciplinary was cool, um, classics was never just about caesuras. It was always about, well, who the heck are the is the audience for Homer's poems, and what is it really saying about humanity? And look at that cup, and we, you know, the archaeologists start naming their stuff after things in Homer. Uh, it's really been inclusive. Um, and it's not that you can't get a pretty narrow graduate curriculum in some places, but I don't think that's the nature of it. At Cincinnati, it used to be the Department of Classics and Arabic. Really? Yeah. <laughs> not anymore, but that's the way it started out. That rather makes sense. After all, so many of our texts ended up in the Arabic exactly. world. Exactly. Totally natural connection. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know that the people who study ancient medicine and ancient science... All desperately want to learn Arabic. Yeah. yeah. Get a little bit closer to the original text. Again, I remember when John Scarborough was the only person working on ancient medicine. And that's no longer true by any means. Do you have any last thoughts? Any stories you really want to tell? Well, uh, let me tell you this one. This is not serious. But I, we, it, was a, it was a canvas meeting. Um... I'd have to look at the list, but um, I was walking through the lobby, and a, I, a person came up to me and said, are you Jim Rubel? And I said, yes. And she said, I want to beat the crap out of you. I said, oh, good. Let's have coffee. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? Well, it turned out <laughs> that I had been misquoted by her department chair, um, they had recently had an external review, and according to the department chair, one of the reviewers said that I said such and such was necessary for tenure. And, and I said, well, that's interesting because, A, I never talked to this person. B, I don't believe that what she said is, in fact, my opinion. And C, um, um, I don't know, you know how, this, how this came about, where she even got my name. <laughs> Um, so after that, we've, we've been good friends. But it's an unusual way to meet someone, possibly not elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so. Well, thank you so much for talking to me and for thank talking you. to Canvas Corps. Okay, well, thank you. Thank you for listening to the first Canvas Corps interview between Krishna Burns and James Rubel. Please stay subscribed to this podcast or resubscribe next year for a new batch of episodes. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd like to mention that you might also enjoy my other podcast, Itinera, in which I interview classicists from all walks of life about the relationship between their lives and their work. Amy Richland, Helen Morales, and Hannah Chalik Baird all made appearances on season one, and I've recorded episodes for season two with Joel Christensen of Sententiae Antiquae, Jackie Murray, and Donna Zuckerberg, the editor of Eidolon. The theme music is called Rise and Shine by Audio Binger. We'll look forward to seeing you next year. Thank you for listening. <laughs>